Red, White, and Confused. I'm your host, Heather Evans. Thanks for joining me today. On today's program, we're going to talk a little bit about some local community news. So it's going to be a little different than a traditional program. Normally, I invite individuals onto this show who either, number one, um, are doing research in some way related to something happening in government, be that at the local level, the state level, or the national level. Um, So a lot of the people that I have on my show are scholars at other universities and colleges and just individuals in the community who are doing research on things that are happening. And we talk a lot about that. Um, I've also, though, had a few shows where individuals that I invite on are people from the local community who are dealing with something that's happening right now. Um, Some of those shows have actually been my favorite shows. So if we think about shows like um, the ones involving the flooding that happened in Whitewood, Virginia, the shows surrounding the landfill, and getting some updates about what's happening with that in Bristol, Virginia, those shows, I think, really highlight what citizens are dealing with here in Appalachia and here in Southwest Virginia. So with that in mind, this week, what we're going to do on this program is give you a little bit of an update on two things that actually happened this week. Interestingly enough, on February 14th, there were multiple community meetings (laughs) in Southwest Virginia. So it was the day of love and yet also a day for everyone to get together and talk about things that were going on in government. So first, um, I think we need to talk about what's happening in Bristol, Virginia. So as you know, I've actually had three shows on this up until now. There is a landfill problem in Bristol, Virginia. There is a landfill that has been emitting toxic gas into the community. This, um, people were dealing with these toxic gases and are still dealing with these toxic gases, have been dealing with them for quite some time. And a lot of individuals outside the immediate area didn't know about these issues really at all until about a year and maybe about a year and a half ago. Uh, It would have been the fall of 2021. This started to get some traction online. On Facebook and other places, some groups were formed where people were talking about what they were experiencing and sharing their stories with one another. And honestly, this is how a lot of social movements start, right? You get a bunch of people who are being affected by something, maybe they don't even realize that they have something in common with their neighbors, but then when people start communicating it, either through in-person events or online, they notice, oh, we all are affected by something. We together, you know, one of us might not be able to do very much, but if there's a group of us and we organize, then we might be able to get somewhere and get some traction in government. So that's what happened with the Bristol, Virginia landfill. You have people who were affected by this, who noticed that there were a lot of people affected by this. And 
they started to really have a lot of concerns about this and wondered if was something happening that could potentially be affecting their health. I mean, people were waking up in the middle of the night with burning eyes, throwing up, you name it, health problems. I mean, I so I I did not pay attention to this as a citizen of Washington County until I was made aware of it on social media. So social media in my classes, I like to say, <laughs> I like to make jokes that social media is the death of democracy. Well, I mean, okay, maybe there's some elements of truth to social media kind of giving, I don't know, it, it, it can be a little bit of a dumpster fire, but social media can be good and can be used for good. Social media can be used to spread awareness about things happening in your community and to find ways to, you know, get some some relief over whatever those problems are. So citizens were doing that. They were using social media. They were reporting, you know, how bad is the smell at your house? How bad is the smell like, are, it's, it's over here on this street. Is it on your street too? Like, ha, who's being affected by this? And why is it so bad on some nights and it not bad on others. And there were just so many stories. There were Facebook groups developed, and, and I, I joined those Facebook groups, so I got to see the, the community conversations around this. There started to be groups formed. So Hope for Bristol is one of those organizations. And the reason I bring up Hope for Bristol is because that organization this week went before the city council in Bristol, Virginia, and presented a request to them for a community action plan. Now, this has been something that has been a long time coming. This is not something, again, that just started overnight. People have been affected by the Bristol landfill for a long, long time. If you go on to Google, and let's say you're going to type in Bristol, Virginia landfill, news or Bristol Virginia landfill just type in Bristol Virginia landfill and you just scroll even on the first page of your results you'll find things where even like um, Aaron Brockovich had an article on uh, the Brockovich website where a person from Bristol wrote a letter and discussed all of the negative health effects they've had from what is happening at this landfill right? And and it is going to take money to solve this problem. It's going to take time. This is not something that changes overnight. It, it could never be something that could change overnight. So back to Hope for Bristol. So Hope for Bristol, um, in the last few weeks, especially given some of the reports that came out about how much toxic gas has been released, how much chemicals have been released, um, methane, so forth. They are asking Bristol, Virginia, the city council, to, for some remediation. So one of the things they're asking for is just to simply inform the community about what's happening and whenever things are going to happen. If there's an incident at the landfill, let people know. Uh, can, can we please have an emergency plan in place? So if something horrible happens, residents know what to do, right? How do we evacuate? We need to be able to evacuate this area. 
And right now there's no plan. Um, anytime that there's, there's something happening there that citizens need to know about to just have a way to let them know about it. And then they also are asking for monitors on the, um, what is happening at the landfill. And they've, they've asked for some relief for residents because these people think about it. They're being gassed nightly in their homes. And those who live the closest to the landfill are getting affected the most by the landfill. And we're talking not only the homes, you have a juvenile detention center that is right there. You have a um, an animal, a place where people also can go adopt animals right there. So an animal shelter and a juvenile detention center right there. You have schools that are right there. So they're, as, they're simply asking for an emergency plan and some relief for people who are dealing with this day in and day out. So I wanted to check in with Joel Kellogg, who um, is one of the co-founders for Hope for Bristol, and I had a conversation with him right after the Bristol, Virginia meeting. So I wanted to share part of that conversation with you now. So I'm joined today uh, by Joel Kellogg, who is one of the co-founders of Hope for Bristol. Hi, Joel. Thanks for coming back on the show. Well, thank you for having me. Good morning. Good morning. Um, so I know that there was a meeting last night um, with Bristol, Virginia, and um, thinking about the landfill and, and the effects of the landfill. Can you give us a little update on what happened at the meeting last night? Absolutely. So last night, um, Hope for Bristol presented our version of a community safety plan to the Bristol, Virginia City Council. Um, along with that plan, we um, also presented over 600 signatures from residents, um, which for us was uh, was a was a very humbling number. We had just just um, not even two weeks since we we decided we need to move forward with this um, inclement weather and illness, and um, but we had a lot of people pounding the pavement, knocking on doors to um, to garner that many signatures. So. Um, the community safety plan is something that has been done um, at other sites around the country, you know, during remediation work, whether it's a landfill, whether it's a refinery, whether it's a toxic waste site. Um, so there's three, three basic components to this. And the first one is, is to inform. So the, the public, our residents need to be informed as to what's going on in that landfill on a day-to-day -day basis so that we can prepare. So if they're, if they're drilling, if they're doing any type of work that causes the flare to shut down, um, anything that could release even more emissions into our communities, our residents need to be aware so they can, um, they can get out if they have the means. Um, along with that, we ask for um, monitoring. So we need stationary air monitoring around the perimeter of this landfill and also in our heavily affected neighborhoods, um, you know, Fairmount, you have Kingtown, you have the, you know, the Shakespeare Road area. Um, all these places just get bombarded day and night uh, by these toxic emissions. So along with the air monitoring, we ask for an alert system so that if a potentially deadly plume of compounds and airborne release comes from this landfill, that there is a way to warn residents. Because currently, the only alert system that uh, 
that the city of Bristol, Virginia has is when people start dying. And that's, that's, that's not an exaggeration, that's reality. There's no evacuation plan. Um, so an alert system is critical. And then the third thing that we ask for is relief. We have, um, for some residents, it's been going on for many years, but for, for most of us, it's been two years of these intrusive gases coming into our neighborhoods, into our homes, our cars, our churches, our schools. Our people are our people are shell shocked. Is the is the word I is the word I use mentally, physically, um, from the effects of these emissions. So we're asking that um, that the city provide um, relief in the form of uh, hotel vouchers for um, periods of especially intense emissions. You know, during drilling, things like that, and then also um, for Bristol, Virginia, to finally put in place an air purifier. Uh, and filter replacement program for their residents. Now that's something um, you you remember that as a community uh, through a lot of different entities, um, you know we have as a community given away over a thousand air purifiers, and that's all at no cost to our residents, all through some very generous donations. Um, you know from two dollars up to up to several thousand dollars. So those three components. Um, are what is needed to protect the health and safety of the residents of both Bristol, Virginia and Bristol, Tennessee. That's awesome that you've already received 600 signatures. So I know that obviously you need more signatures. Um, how can people get involved if they want to either work on getting you signatures for the petitions or even just signing themselves? We have uh, we have several volunteers out in the community. Uh, they're going around door to door. They're taking um, you know the petition documents to their churches, to their businesses. Um, so if you go to hopeforbristol.org, our website, we have a we have an information page there um, for the petition drive. We have uh, um, a Facebook page, Instagram page. So our our information is is readily available. Um, any inquiries can be made to info at hopeforbristol.org. That's info, I-N-F-O, at hopeforbristol.org. Um, if somebody wants to sign, we will get somebody there to get their signature. We're going to be collecting signatures probably until the next city council meeting in, in two weeks, I believe. Um, and then we'll see, we'll see how it goes from there. Did you get any sense last night at the city council meeting that um, your proposal and the petition signatures were being well received by the city? It's kind of hit or miss. So um, some some members of uh, city government, um, you know, I think feel that this is a necessary step. Uh, of course, the financing the um, you know the monetary impact. Uh, on the city is is great with the remediation work that they've they've committed to, um, but that should not be a factor in this decision to protect our residents. So, um, I would say we had a lukewarm response from some, no response from others. Uh, I will I will say that yesterday we did get information from uh, finally from um, a regulatory agency that said that they had been in contact with uh, the city of Bristol, Virginia, along with other regulatory agencies 
uh, health agencies, et cetera. Um, and they do see a need for air monitoring in our community. So that was the first time that something has been, you know, communicated to us in writing that this is a need. So that was uh, encouraging compared to, you know, the stonewalling that we've had in the past. Well, that's good. And again, if anyone is interested in signing that petition, please reach out to Hope for Bristol. And if you're interested in helping them gather um, signatures for their petition, also reach out to them. Thank you for being on the show, Joel. Thank you very much. You have a wonderful day and I look forward to talking to you soon. So as you've heard, um, this issue, this ongoing issue in Bristol, Virginia, and it also affects people in Bristol, Tennessee. It affects people even in here in Abingdon, uh, where I live. It, it affects everyone in this region. The, this issue is ongoing and it's not, it doesn't have an easy solution. It doesn't have a, well, a, a quick fix per se. There's not a quick fix here. Um, and it's going to take a long time to make things right. Um, if you're interested, though, in helping out with this, please contact Hope for Bristol. Um, and I look forward to seeing um, them gather even more signatures to present um, the second time that they go before the board. Okay, now I'm going to shift gears a little bit into something that's happening in Washington County, Virginia. So, for those of you who have been paying attention to local politics starting in November, you may remember that on election night, there was a very interesting um, meeting that happened with the Board of Supervisors in Washington County. That night, which actually there were a lot of people who thought, why in the world are we meeting this night? Why is this being brought up this night? People seem to be busy with voting and standing in line to cast a ballot. Um, but that night... There was a board meeting, and the issue that was on the table was an issue of essentially saying that the, um, the county wanted to potentially declare itself as a pro-life sanctuary. So that evening, not only did about 60 people come out to speak to the board, and, and each person had about five minutes to speak their piece, so that was a lot of comments. There was a lot of time. There were a lot of people there. I don't know how many people listening were at that meeting, but it lasted it lasted a few hours into the evening. I want to say that I got home. It was after 11 o'clock um, that evening. So a lot of people came to the meeting and, and had very passionate things to say. That meeting, not only did the Board of Supervisors decide to declare itself that the county would be, quote, pro-life, and that it was a pro-life sanctuary, but they also voted um, to send some uh, zoning restrictions over to a board to determine if they could potentially create new zoning restrictions on allowing clinics to locate in Washington County and that would have any kind of abortion services. So, Let's back up for a moment because I, I like to talk about these issues with my students and I think it's important to kind of understand the entire scope of, of what is happening in Washington County. So first, as we all can remember in the summer and even before then, if we think about Roe v. Wade, Roe v. Wade um, was essentially overturned in the summer by the Supreme Court and the Dobbs decision. With that decision, the Supreme Court said that abortion now 
any decisions about abortion fell on the states. So what we saw when that happened is that state after state started to discuss, well, are we going to, you know, in, include some language in our constitution about um, a freedom to individual autonomy, body autonomy? Are we going to say people have a, a right to privacy? Are we going to include that in our state constitutions or aren't we? And on election night um, here in the United States this past November, there were many states that put measures on the ballot regarding abortion, whether there should be re additional restrictions on whether a woman can get an abortion in those states. And a lot of states rejected those, um, those pieces of legislation or those referendums and, and so forth that were on the ballot. But anyways, this is, this is a kind of a pressure cooker topic for a lot of people. So this meant then that in the state of Virginia, Virginia now gets to kind of decide what it's going to do about abortion. And abortion is legal in the state of Virginia. So all of the protections that people had before the Dobbs decision, people still in, enjoy now. So Washington County, and Washington County is not the only county. There are other counties in our listening area that have decided to take up this idea that the county itself wants to declare itself pro-life, that is happening across the region. Washington County is one of them. Um, but the second piece of that is the zoning restrictions. So that night in November, five members of the seven-member board voted to say, we're pro-life. The, the Washington County, we're pro-life. You know, it doesn't really have any bite to it. It just says, we are a pro-life county. It, it doesn't have any, you know, there's nothing behind it, right? It's just words. Um, but the second piece of that is something that is, that could be, it could have, you know, the, these, these have implications. Zoning has implications. So zoning would mean what businesses could or could not move to the area. So this past, this week on Valentine's Day, just like when Bristol City um, on the Virginia side was having its meeting and discussing things with Hope for Bristol, Washington County, Virginia Board of Supervisors were discussing again the zoning restrictions. And they decided to vote for zoning restrictions, and the vote was 5-2, to two, so it was the same vote as the other vote, 5-2 to two to say, we're voting for these zoning restrictions, any clinic that wants to operate here and perform these services is not going to be allowed to do so. Okay, here's why this is problematic. So I did attend the first board meeting on this, and I did speak. As I mentioned, I got home after 11 o'clock at night, um, and I, I tried to explain to the board that what they were doing was illegal, <laughs> but no one was really listening to that, and I was not the only person making those claims. There, there were other people there also trying to explain to them what they're doing is illegal. So there's something in the state called Dillon Rule, the Dillon Rule. And you may have seen this on Facebook. You may have seen this on social media. What the heck is the Dillon Rule? States in the United States, they either have the Dillon Rule that they abide by or home rule that they abide by. And we are a Dillon Rule state. This means that localities only can do what the state legislature says they can do. So the state would have to say communities, right? Districts, counties, 
you have the right, you can do with abortion as you wish. You have the right to do whatever zoning restrictions you want. Well, the, the state legislature hasn't said that. So Washington County is out of line. Um, and it is illegal. Now, it would take a, a court case. It would take a business locating, trying to locate there and being denied and all of those things to really see a case come forward. But what they're doing is illegal. Um, Virginia is not a home rule state. Home rule would work in the opposite direction. It really does mean that, you know, the localities are deciding everything. It's kind of like splintering your your state into lots of different areas that have its own rules and regulations. So here's an example of how Dillon Rule works. So we all know that uh, there are ABCs all over the state of Virginia. That's how they control their alcoholic beverages in the state of Virginia. You have to, if you're going to purchase liquor, you have to do it at an ABC. A community like Washington County couldn't just go, you know what, I think we're just going to let anybody that wants to open a liquor store or, you know, we don't really care about the ABC anymore. We're our own people. We're going to do what we want. That That isn't going to work. Um, the ABC, the Alcoholic Beverage Commission, I mean, that that is controlled by the state. It's not controlled by local uh, individuals. It's not controlled by local entities. Um, another instance of this. So you guys will remember back when... Um, there were lots of discussions about relocating Confederate monuments, and I was also at the center of some of those discussions, right? Because I, I had started a petition in Washington County to relocate the one monument outside the courthouse, and up until that point, local communities actually couldn't do what they wanted with those monuments. The state legislature controlled that. There was, a, there was something on the books that said, all of these monuments, you can't touch them. But then the state legislature, right before I started that petition, said that, hey, you know what, counties? You can do things with these, do with them as you wish. You can contextualize them. You can remove them. You can relocate them. You can do with them as you want. Had the state legislature not actually given these communities the right to do this, they could not have moved those monuments, right? And those monuments did end up getting moved in the end uh, because of courthouse construction. But that's an example of how a state legislature can grant authority. And then an example with the alcohol, right? How they're like, no, you, you can't just say, you know, Bob down the street can have an alcohol license now. That's not the way it works. You're in the state of Virginia. So, you know, Washington County is essentially playing with fire here with this whole, the zoning restrictions that they're trying to place regarding um, clinics or businesses that, you know, that are wanting to move to the area. So we're just going to have to watch and see this play out. But I, in the end, it could, and I believe that it, it will eventually result in a lawsuit and it will cost the taxpayers money, which is not good for anybody. Okay, so that's a little more information about both of those issues that have come up before. Two different boards this week, uh, the landfill and the zoning restrictions in, in terms of abortion for Washington County. Um, I hope that by listening in, you've learned a little bit more about what's going on in your local government. And um, I'm looking forward to chatting with all of you again next week. Again, this is Red, White, and Confused. I'm Heather Evans. Thanks for spending the last 30 minutes with me. Have a great week. Thank you.